You are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone, this is Aileen. Thank you so much for listening to episode 19 of The Music Room. I'm really excited today to talk to you about classroom management strategies for The Music Room. Before I dive into the strategies for classroom management, I just want to talk to you about a couple things. First of all, if you really enjoy listening to this podcast, I would really appreciate a review in the iTunes store. Um, This will help other music teachers find this podcast so they know to listen. Also, in case you haven't followed me on Instagram, I would love to see you there. I've had so much fun sharing ideas both in my Instagram feed and through stories. So if you're not following me there, make sure to check me out at Mrs. Miracle's Music Room. All right. So like I said, we're going to talk today about some classroom management strategies. I have been blogging um, on my blog lately with some different strategies for classroom management. I've kind of been doing a series. The first blog post that I wrote a couple weeks ago was about star students in the music room. And then I also blogged about using a point system for the music room. And also by the time that this airs, I will have written about transitions in the music room, which doesn't seem exactly like a classroom management strategy, more like a lesson planning strategy, but it really does help to keep kids engaged and excited throughout your lesson. So make sure to check those out. I will link to those in the show notes. And if you haven't checked out the show notes before, you can go to my blog at mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com and then um, click on podcast and then you'll find the podcast episode there. All right, so classroom management strategies for the music room. Um, as I've been asking people here and there, like through Insta stories and uh, through email and other ways that I've asked people for ideas for me to blog and to podcast about, this one keeps coming up. Um, I've also asked as people have uh, asked for an invite to my Facebook group, which is called Mrs. Miracle's chat room. One of my questions to um, get, you know, accepted into the group is what is your biggest struggle as a music educator and classroom management has come up quite a bit there. So that's why I wanted to do a series on my blog, as well as this podcast episode to really dig deep into some classroom management strategies. So like I said, I've blogged about a few things um, like star students and points in the music room and transitions. In today's podcast episode, I thought it would be good to talk about several different strategies that I think Um, have helped me manage my classroom and make sure that kids are excited and engaged and and happy. And overall, you know, the classroom is running smoothly without too many classroom management issues. All right, so here are a few strategies that have worked for me. Number one, be calm. Um, And maybe to some of you, this is common sense, But I think in my first few years of teaching, no one had ever really said that to me. And I think it's really easy to get pulled into feeling defensive about what's going on in in your classroom. Like, you know, you've spent hours sometimes planning a lesson. And when you have a kid who maybe lashes out or is not as engaged as you would like to see or they're really distracting other students. It can be hard to be calm and not take offense that this child is doing this. But I've come to learn that, you know, sometimes there are things going on in a student's life that you just 
you don't even know, especially with us having like, you know, upwards of 600, 700. Sometimes I've heard some music teachers have like a thousand students. And uh, sometimes classroom teachers aren't passing along what's happening in a student's life. And we just don't know. And uh, there have been times in my teaching when I have found out what's going on in a student's life. And I thought, oh my goodness, their behavior is actually pretty good considering what they're dealing with. So regardless, even if, you know, there's not really anything going on in the student's life and they're just reacting negatively to what's going on in your classroom, I really think it's so important to be calm. Responding with anger is only going to make the situation worse. I, you know, I realize that sometimes kids do things that they shouldn't and it can be very frustrating, but responding in that way is is just not going to help the situation. So I really try to remain calm. And like I said, to not take it personally, because they could be acting in a certain way because of something going on in their lives that we just aren't privy to. So just try to take a deep breath in and a deep breath out and be calm. Second is to get to know your students. You know, and again, this can be difficult when you have hundreds to over a thousand students, but there are little things that you can do that I think would help. And the reason I think getting to know students is helpful is, you know, I think if a student knows that you know their names and that you know a little bit about them and that you've showed interest in their lives, then they're definitely more likely to behave in your classroom because they'll feel respected. Names, I realize, can be kind of um, tricky, again, when you have a thousand plus students. I do have a blog post that I can link to in the show notes about different strategies for learning students' names. So before even getting to know students, definitely try to get to know their names because you're honoring them by learning their names and also learning to pronounce their names correctly. Not that I never make a mistake and God knows that I often will call a kid by his brother's name or her, his, her sister's name or whatever. And, you know, and I tell students, I'm so sorry. I see so many students. Sometimes I'll call you by your brother's or sister's names, but I bet that's happened to you at home too. So it's not that I never make any mistakes, but I really try to make an effort to know every single student's name. And, um, you know, and then after I know their names, really get to know a little bit about them. So a couple of ways that I find can be helpful for this is, you know, when I went through my Kodai training, I had a few teachers say that when students are lining up at the end of the lesson to have them sing while they're waiting at the door. And I do love this idea. Um, but in my current situation, I have no window in my classroom door. So I do have to open up the door to the hallway to see if the next class is there. Otherwise, I won't know. So um, I don't really want to sing with the door open because there's a classroom right across the hall and I don't want to be disruptive to their learning. Although, you know, maybe they would enjoy hearing a song or two, but I want to make sure I'm not being disruptive. So instead of singing as we're lining up, I'll, if I have time, I will ask students things like, what did you do this weekend? Or what did you do this summer, like at the beginning of the year? Or what do you plan on doing this weekend? Or if it was a student's birthday, I'll say, oh, what are you going to do for your birthday? Just little things like that, um, that students will know that you care about them and what's going on in their lives. On a recent podcast, I talked about the restorative justice podcast episode with uh, Cult of Pedagogy. It was a really great episode. I will also link to that in the show notes. And a lot of restorative justice is about getting to know the students and you know, getting them to know you as well. So 
you can, you know, share a story about your life as you see fit. Um, like, uh, if you are following me on Instagram, you, you may have seen that, uh, a couple weeks ago, I spilled coffee all over my MacBook pro. It's a fairly new MacBook pro. I got it in February and it immediately turned off. And I'm talking like it was a colossal spill. It was so much coffee and I'm just a klutz. Unfortunately, this is not the first time this has happened. I have spilled something on another MacBook Pro before and that one also died. So you think I would learn my lesson and not have any liquids by me. I'm happy to say right now I have no liquids by me and I've definitely learned my lesson now. But anyway, it was just a rough day because I had spilled all this coffee and immediately turned off and I tried putting it in rice and all the things that you do and it just wasn't turning back on. So um, at the end of the day, I realized that I had been thinking the whole day that I was going to have to pay $3,000 for a new MacBook Pro and I was kind of upset about that. And then I realized at the end of the day that I had bought the um, Apple Care Plus, I think is what it's called, which I definitely recommend, especially if you're klutzy like me. So when you buy the Apple Care Plus, then spills are covered with that. So I still did have to pay like $2.99 or something, but it was a lot better than $3,000. So anyway, I just shared a little story with this class that I had at the end of the day because I had just realized that this was covered and I told them what happened. And I had a bunch of kids raise their hand and tell me stories about how their dads had jumped into the pool with their iPhones in their pockets or whatever. And, um, and you know, like earlier in my career, I think I would have looked at this as this is wasted time. We need to be making music. I'm not going to waste time talking about our personal lives. But now I realize that this is actually really important. I can take three minutes to talk about this, even five minutes, um, because the more that the students you know, know that I respect them and I care about them and I care about what's going on in their lives and they care about what's going on in my lives, the, the more they'll do for me and the, the more smoothly my class will run. So anything I can do to kind of get to know students and get them to know me, it's great. All right, number three, third strategy here is to be firm. So, and when I say firm, I don't mean um, mean, I mean just firm. If a student is not doing what they're supposed to, and maybe you've even tried some strategies like you've, um, you know, moved their seat or you've given them a verbal warning and they're still not listening, then you can do things like, okay, you know, you need to sit out for a little bit. I know some, I feel like I heard at one point that there was a little bit of controversy over having students sit out, but I'm of the belief that sometimes kids need a little bit of a timeout. And you can make that call as you need. Maybe some kids you don't think that would work for, and some kids you do. Um, but you could have them sit out just from whatever you're doing, or especially if you're playing a game, I think this could be really powerful. Have students sit out during the game. They don't get to play it, especially like if you're playing the game and they're not making safe choices with their body and you've already given them a warning and they're still not making safe choices. Just say, okay, you need to sit out from this game. And they'll watch everybody else play the game and they don't get to play the game because they didn't make a safe choice. It's just natural consequences, you know? Kind of along those lines, if you say you're going to do something, then do it. And this, I think, you know, as a parent, you've probably heard this advice before, but, you know, if you tell the students, okay, boys and girls, we're going to try it one more time, but if I keep hearing talking, then we're not going to play the game. If you still hear talking, take away the game. And, you know, I don't think that you need to have this big, long talk about, how their behavior can be better and what we can do better next time. I'm not really into having these huge long discussions about how their behavior can be better. 
I will just say, okay, sorry guys, you weren't listening. We're going to move on. And then we move on. If you think a discussion like that could be helpful, then by all means have it. But I find that sometimes just taking away the game and moving on is enough. They will get it and they will be better next time. And there's a balance. I mean, you have to kind of know yourself and your kids. You don't want to be so firm that kids will think you're mean. But I think it's, I think there's definitely a way to be firm without going overboard and letting students know when, you know, enough is enough and moving on. All right. Next on my list is to keep things moving. So in my Kodai training, I learned a lot about keeping, um, a, you know, keeping a lesson moving so that the kids are really engaged. And I think this is so important with classroom management. So I had blogged about transitions and I have a couple videos in that blog post about transitions. And this is part of it. But just choosing a wide variety of activities, and I often have, you know, six or seven or even more activities in one 50-minute lesson. I see my students once every five days for 50 minutes. So especially with first grade, I could easily have 10 activities in that 50 minutes. And just, you know, really keeping things moving. We're doing some physical activities, some kinesthetics, some visuals, some aural, and we're just like really keeping it moving, smoothly transitioning from one thing to the next so that you know, we really keep their, their focus and having that balance of concentration, relaxation. For example, today in second grade, I had um, an assessment where students were playing this game called hide and seek um, on my smart board where they were identifying different rhythm patterns and figuring out where the kids were hiding from the rhythm pattern they chose. And, um, and it, it definitely took a little bit of concentration to listen to each pattern and then choose the pattern. And so they had done this for like five minutes and really been concentrating and I was assessing them and I didn't have it written into my lesson, but I realized they need to move. Like they've been focusing and I don't have it written in my lesson. I'm going to put a movement activity like a brain break into my lesson right now. So sometimes you have to kind of stray from your lesson plan because you're looking at them and you know they need to move. So I really definitely try to look at that as I'm lesson planning, but then sometimes I'm adapting during, you know, in the moment I realize I need to switch two things in my lesson or I need to add some kind of brain break activity to get them up and moving. And I find that really helpful. I will link in uh, the show notes to a couple free lesson plans that I have in my TPT store, just so you can kind of get an idea of how I move from one activity to the next, to the next really, you know, quickly and have those transitions in there and uh, keep them moving. I have a kindergarten and a first grade lesson plan that I'll link to that are both free. All right. Next on my list is to give students choice. Um, This has been a little bit, uh, it's not something that came to me really naturally. Um, My Kodai training was transformative for my career and honestly for my life. But I didn't, uh, I'll be honest, I didn't learn a ton about giving students choice during my Kodai training. So this is something that I've kind of had to pick up along the way. And, um, and it's something that my district is into a lot lately is giving students choice. I'm going to give you a few uh, ideas for this. So something that I talked about in that point system blog post is choice days. So after students have given or have earned a certain number of points, I think it's 25 that they can earn. And they have a, 
you know, up to four a day that they can earn. So when they get to 25 points, then they get what I call a choice day or a reward day where half of the next music class will take a vote on all of the different activities that they'd like to do. And we maybe do the top two or three, depending on what they choose. So this can be a really fun way to figure out what really resonates with students, what they really enjoy, and just, you know, let them do it without worrying about what concepts you're pulling from it. You're just letting them do it for fun. Another way is it's not exactly giving students choices, but it's more like um, letting students have some input is like in first grade. Um, I think that was actually today and for, or maybe yesterday. Um, I had a couple kids who kept asking to play the bunny game, which I can link to that in the show notes as well. It's a really fun activity that I do with kindergarten and first grade. And I didn't have it written into the lesson, but, and so at first I said, no, not today. Sorry. Um, but then as I was teaching the lesson, I realized that there could be a really easy transition into the bunny game and we did have enough time. You know, you can actually get to the bunny game in like three minutes if you want, if you do it quickly. So, um, I went ahead and did it because they were, you know, they had great behavior and they had asked for it and I had a time. So I went ahead and did it. Um, and I've done that before where like in the moment, I'll change a little bit part of the lesson because, you know, students will ask to play poison or something like that. Or can we do this? Or can we do that? I'll go ahead and do it if I have time. And then if I don't have time, I try to keep that in mind for the future to go ahead and do that. And again, I think that's a way of honoring them as people that they really, there's something that they really love about music class and they want to do it with you. Well then do, you know, do it if you have time. And then something that I've also been toying with, and I I believe I talked about this in a previous podcast episode, is giving choices during centers. And what I mean by this is instead of having like four centers and I tell students who, you know, what their groups are and which centers to go to and when to rotate, I have maybe six centers out in my room and I tell them they can go to whatever ones they want. And you could put some kind of parameters on this, like you could say, of the six centers, I want you to go to at least three today. Or you could say, um, I want you to go to, three, to th- at least three of them today, and you definitely have to go to this one. Like if you have you know, a center where there's an assessment or something like that, you can make sure that everybody goes to that one. But when I have done this with my students, they have absolutely loved it because, again, I'm honoring them as people. I'm giving them input. I'm giving them choice. And I feel like even though during centers, sometimes you'll have you know, kids that maybe need reminders about staying on task, their behavior in general is really pretty good because you are giving them the freedom to do what they want within reason. Um, So that's been great. So uh, choice days or reward days and then letting students have input throughout the lesson, if you can, and then giving choices during centers has been really, really helpful. All right, next strategy, I don't even know what number I'm on anymore, but I'll just keep going, um, is to decide which battles you want to pick. So here's what I mean by that. Um, My first several years of teaching, I was very adamant that students had to sit cross-legged. Crisscross applesauce, you have to sit cross-legged. And I have seen this conversation come up a lot in like music teacher Facebook groups that people really want their students to sit crisscross applesauce. So I was not, I'm not alone. I know there are a lot of people who really want that. And then um, my oldest daughter, is now, who's now, now in ninth grade, she was in kindergarten and I was her music teacher. And 
I would see her sitting with her legs out, not cross-legged, and I would ask her to sit cross-legged. And I came to realize it was actually hard for her. And sometimes it could have been like her pants were a little bit too tight or it just wasn't comfortable. And I thought, huh, if it's not comfortable for her to sit cross-legged, it's probably not comfortable for some other kids. I have no problem sitting cross-legged, so I honestly never thought about it. So I changed it up and I thought, why am I worrying so much about them sitting crisscross applesauce? Except for, as you know, as I just said, I am a klutz. So if they have their feet out in front of them, I probably will trip over them. And I did. I have done that before. But as long as within reason, they're sitting in a way that's not (laughs) dangerous for me to fall over them. You know, if they're sitting cross-legged or they're sitting um, on their knees, as long as, you know, no one's behind them and can't see, or they're sitting with their legs off to their side or whatever, if they're sitting in a way that's comfortable for them, and shows me that they're ready to learn, then do I care that much that it's crisscross applesauce? No. So I've kind of let go with that. And another way that I've let go a little bit is my youngest daughter um, had some sensory issues, sensory processing disorder. For a while, I would see some things from her, like I um, took her to a music class when she was younger, when she was like two years old, I, I had her in this music class. And she would do things like spin around in circles, or she would actually like, she'd be standing, but she would low, or she would kind of bend over at her torso. So she, her head was kind of like hanging upside down. And this was before I knew that she had sensory processing disorder. And I didn't know why she was doing that. And finally, I found out through getting her tested with occupational therapy that that was why she was doing that. She was actually doing that to uh, self-regulate. That was actually helping her learn better to kind of bend over like that, which was really eye-opening. So um, I started, you know, letting her do that when she needed needed to. I, I noticed that like when she was in a crowded place, a new, you know, if it was like a business or something and there were a lot of people about or a store, I would see her do that a lot. And I would just let her do that because I knew that's what she needed to do because she had too much input coming in. Well, then I was teaching a fifth grade class. This was a few years ago. And I had the student who... Um, was on the spectrum and I was often reminding him to sit up. I would see him laying down a lot or sometimes spinning around in his butt. And I made the realization, which I probably should have realized before this, but I made the, I had the realization, Oh, he's just doing that to regulate himself. Why do I keep telling him that he needs to sit a certain way? If he's doing that to help him learn better, then let him do that. You know, So, and I talked to his teacher to make sure I was on the right page. I said, you know, this is what I've noticed with my daughter and I'm noticing this with your student. Do you think he's doing that to regulate himself? And she said, yeah, I do. I was like, okay, well, why, why was I fighting that? That's what he needed to do. So I have gotten a lot more relaxed about, um, you know, if a kid, now there are some students who are doing it because they, they actually don't need to spin around or they don't actually need to lay on the floor. And, and you kind of have to get to know your students enough to know, you know, and maybe you could look at IEPs and kind of figure out um, if there are students who need to do that versus students who don't. Although there could be a student who's not on an IEP and hasn't been identified with those needs but still needs to do that. So I just kind of not, I'm not saying that it's mass chaos in my room and I let all the kids spin around or anything, but if I see that a kid needs to do something, then I let him or her do that. If I know that that will help him or her stay focused. Um, 
And along those lines, I have a sensory bin now in my classroom, which is still kind of an experiment. I'm not at all an expert about it, but um, Katie, who sometimes co-hosts the music room with me, she she had a sensory bin. She actually gave me something for my sensory bin because she uses sewers, so she gave me this cool little thing for my sensory bin. And um, I went ahead and filled it with some things. And I've been experimenting because at first I said, if you need something, you can come back here and get it. And with second grade, they just could not handle that. And I had 10 kids back at my desk trying to get things from the sensory bin. So I had to put the kibosh on that. But um, if I sit, like I have a student who's just, she's really wiggly. And um, I know that sometimes I can give her something and that will help her focus. Like I could give her a squishy ball or, um, you know, something to kind of hold and squeeze in her hands, then that sometimes help, helps her focus more. Now, sometimes she abuses that a little bit and then I take it away. So again, you kind of have to watch for, um, you just know your students and see what's working and what's not. And it's, like I said, it's kind of an experiment, but I just know, I realize now that some kids need some things and you need to go ahead and see if that will help them out. And again, you're honoring them as learners. You're, it's like you're saying to them, I get that you might need something different in order to learn the best that you can, and that's okay. I, and something else that I find uh, really helpful for classroom management is just to have some kind of routine to get your kids' attention. I'm sure as a music teacher, you're probably sick of this routine to get kids' attention. So I I do try to stay clear of that routine, but I have several different things that I've done, like I'll do that, or I'll change it up so it's not always the same thing, and I'll do something like and they all have to echo. So, And then I might even do some vocal exploration, which could be great to getting them to match pitch. So I'll go, and they all have to do that. So they know if they hear something like that, they're going to echo it regardless of what it sounds like. I I know that some people also will have some kind of callback um, where they say some something and then the students all say something back. Like I've heard of like da 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 da, da and all the kids go bum bum or something like that. You know, there's lots of different callbacks. If you search Pinterest for callbacks, you'll find a lot of them. Um, and I also will link to a a blog post by Angela Watson from Cornerstone for Teachers. She has a blog post that has several different strategies for getting kids' attention. But I suggest having something so that you can easily get their attention. Something else that I've done, like especially during centers, is I'll just play my wind chimes and students know to freeze and to listen to directions or they know that it's time to rotate to the next center. So just having something that you can do where kids know, okay, now I need to stop and listen. All right, so that is it for the strategies for classroom management. So I'll quickly do a recap, but I, I will have all this in my show notes too. So we talked about being calm, getting to know your students as best as you can, being firm, doing what you say you're going to do, keep things moving, having a routine to get kids' attention, giving students choice, and then deciding which battles you want to pick. All right. So thanks so much for listening and I hope to see you on Instagram. I hope you leave a review in the iTunes store and I hope to see you in my Facebook group too. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye.